This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. All right, the title tonight is this. It's The Necessity of Forgiveness. The Necessity of Forgiveness. Because forgiveness is something that we all deal with, right? Is there anybody in here that you have had somebody that you should forgive? Somebody's at least somewhere along the line done you wrong, okay? Now, let's put it on the other foot. Have you ever been that one that's done wrong to somebody else? And then you were the one that needed forgiveness. Well, it's been both ways. It's a lot easier to look at the one that's wronged you and just get so mad and blown up. But if I'm being honest, I can look at my life and say, there's some people that should have probably been really mad at me, but they were mature and they were born again. They were Christians and they didn't hold things against me. And of course, we know that God the Father forgave us when we didn't deserve it, because I can tell you right now, I don't deserve the forgiveness that Jesus has given me because I failed him more than once. I've told him I wouldn't do something and then I went and did it again. And he still forgave me and he still gave me another chance. And so how wrong is it of me to hold somebody else's sins and mistakes and and whatever against them when God forgave me when I simply didn't deserve it? How is it the only perfect person that's ever lived had to come and pay pay the price for all the rest of us that screw up all the time? This isn't fair one bit. I'm telling you right now, we got the better end of this deal than what Jesus got. We got the only perfect one to come down and pay the price for us. That, that's incredible. I, you know, I, I think of it this way. Imagine that, that you're in some courtroom, and, and uh, I got out of jury duty last week, and then uh, Katie had it this week. She got out of it, so thank you, Jesus, for that. But at the same time, so, so imagine you're, you're watching the courtroom, and there's some guy on trial. He's been, you know, uh, he's been accused of a whole bunch of really bad stuff all the way up to, I mean, let's say armed robbery. Let's say we got a guy armed robbery. We've got the video. We've got everything about it. In fact, he admitted to it. And then the judge is getting ready to hand out the sentence. And then some perfect, wonderful person just runs. Well, Miss Pam, Pam Church. She's one of the best I know. Miss Pam runs in there and says, stop. Don't do that. Let me take the penalty for this guy. Ma'am, we're getting ready to give this guy like 30 to life. It's okay. Let me take his place instead. Uh, uh, well, ma'am, you don't even have a record. We don't have any record of you ever even committing a crime. This isn't fair. It's okay. I want to do it. Let me do this. And, and as shocking as that would be, what would be even more shocking is the judge that would say, okay, fine. Pam, lock her up. This guy, go free. Case, we'd be like, What? Where's the justice in that? How That's not fair one bit, even if she wanted to do that. Well, the truth of the matter is, that's what Jesus did. Right when you were getting ready to be judged, right when you were getting ready to have the sentence handed down and the hammer come down, Jesus came in and said, no, stop. Let me take that. Whatever you were going to do to them, do it to me. And that's when Jesus hung on that cross. And that was what I deserved. I should have been the one taking that beating because I deserved it. You should have been the one taking that beating. But guess what? You didn't because Jesus did. And he said, you know what? I forgive everything that you've done. And so how stupid is it of me to say Irma really offended me? And it's been five years now, but I don't care. I, I'm, I will never forget. I will never forgive what she did to me. 
Jesus is looking down, you're saying, are you serious right now? Are you serious? And so I want to look at the necessity of forgiveness because this is an essential key to your Christianity. And I want to open up with a verse here in First Peter chapter 2. And verse 23, I'll mainly be in the NLT tonight. So 1 Peter 2, 23. Who's excited, man? I, listen, we need to hear this. This is a word for somebody. Maybe it's a word for all of us. But I know that I heard God and there's somebody here tonight that needs to hear about forgiveness. So 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 23. And uh, man, this is 1 Peter 2, 24 is one of the first Bible verses I ever learned. But verse 23, I didn't really pay much attention to until uh, later in life. But First Peter 2, verse 23, this is talking about Jesus going to the cross, the price that Jesus paid. And, and I mean, this is, this is incredible. First Peter 2, 23, it says, he did not retaliate when he was insulted. I don't know very many people like that at all. Nearly everybody I know, Christian, unchristian, whatever, Oh, yeah, when they're insulted, they're going to retaliate. They will come back. They are not going to take that. But our example, Jesus, and I would hardly call Jesus a sissy. (laughs) He endured more than any human being that I know. And he chose to do it. But it says he did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. Again, I don't know a whole lot of people like that. What, what, What did Jesus do? Well, he left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Jesus left his case in the hands of God. Well, that doesn't sound like a very good, that's a great idea. Because when I leave things in the hands of God and get them out of my hands, it always turns out a lot better than when I try to take justice into my own hands, right? Come on, you, if you judge Judy's out here, you, you, you think that it's up to you. No, it's not. Leave your case in the hands of God, who always judges Fairly, but Jesus, he didn't retaliate when insulted. He didn't threaten revenge when he suffered. He left it in the hands of God. And so there are very few things in this world, in this Christian walk, that can hold you back more so than unforgiveness. It will hold you back. It will trip you up. And I'm going to show you this in a little bit, but it is a big issue. It is a big deal. And, uh, and, and we're going to look at some of this stuff, but, you know, we think, Man, I, 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 I deserve to be mad. They, they actually did me wrong. That may be the case. But I look at some of the biggest names in the Bible. Jesus, they did him wrong. He didn't deserve that. But he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Paul, I mean, that, they cut his head off in 65 AD. They straight cut the man's head off. But you look at Second Peter or Second Timothy, that's the very last letter he ever wrote, and he's talking about forgiving people. He's talking about doing things the right way. I think about Stephen. They're throwing rocks at the man's head and kill him, and his very last words were, Lord, don't hold this against them. Most people today would be, Lord, you better hold this against them, pay them back, get this on the internet for everybody to see, so they'll know what a scumbag they are. Yeah. But no. Stephen says, don't even, Lord, please don't, don't pay them back for this. Don't hold this against them. So I'll bet you have been truthfully wronged, rightfully. You've, you've been wronged. And, and according to the world's standards, you have every case to be upset and hold on to that. But according to the Christian way, 
to the Bible, to the Jesus way, looking at person after person who had every opportunity, who had every right to be bitter and angry. They all chose the forgiveness route. And I would say, hey, I would like to be like Paul. I'd like to be like Stephen. And my whole goal in life is to be just like Jesus. I want to be as much like Jesus as I can possibly be. And so one way that I can be like Jesus is to forgive those who have done me wrong. And no doubt about it, we all have somebody that's done us wrong. And so there's a few things. Uh, I've got three points about the necessity of forgiveness. And I'm highly uh, doubtful that I'm going to get through all this. So I'm just going to plow through right here. The first reason why I believe that forgiveness is a necessity in your life is you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven, so you owe it to others. You've been forgiven, so you owe it to others. And what I want to look at here is Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, let's flip over there. Matthew 18. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to we're going to look at a story here. Uh, Actually, it starts off with Peter talking and then Jesus gives an illustration. Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to look at verses starting at verse 21. Matthew 18 verse 21. And man, if we could get to the place where we're able to forgive other people, where we're able to look past other people's shortcomings. And I mean, there's there's sometimes there's big monumental huge things that someone's done to us but that trickles down into starting to where you just become a bitter person and every little wrong thing somebody does to you you take offense to it complete strangers your closest family your own kids your your spouse your grandma i mean if you don't deal with the root cause here you're going to see all sorts of fruit that has come from this root and it's got to be dealt with so matthew 18 Starting in verse 21, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Wow, that's okay. I mean, I don't think Peter saw that. I actually believe Peter thought that Jesus was going to be proud of him. I I really think Peter was like, Jesus, say I forgive somebody seven times. How's that sound? Huh? 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 And Jesus, no, 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 no. That, That, that. That's not good enough. How about 70 times 7, Peter? And I think that caught Peter off guard because that was nearly mind-blowing. Because, I mean, with a very, uh, not even a a thorough study of Scripture, you can see that Peter had a temper. And so he probably thought he was doing real good by forgiving someone seven times. And Jesus says, you're not even close, man. And so look at this story, though. I want you to see this, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Millions. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Now, that seems like if you're trying to pay off millions of dollars, being put in prison is a pretty, I mean... How are you going to earn the money? So here he is in prison. They've sold his wife, his kids, his dog, his house. Everything's gone until he can pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. 
Can you imagine that right now? What if you called into your mortgage company and said, I owe 200000 and I can't pay it. And they're like, you know what? We're feeling good today. Just don't worry about it. Don't worry. It's forgiven. Do you realize how much you'd be running and dancing down the streets of Barstow? I mean, come on. I saw a guy out punching a tree the other day on Main Street. You'd be like that. You'd be punch dancing down Main Street in Barstow. Listen, you'd be excited. And here's this guy. They just sold his wife and kids and everything. And then the, the king says, you know what? You owe me millions, but forget about it. Let's water under the bridge, man. It's gone. I don't even, hey, what debt? I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, wow, that's forgiveness right there. Come on. And I know a lot of us, me, you, we've been forgiven to what would equal millions of dollars in what Jesus has forgiven us, right? Millions, huge amounts was what Jesus forgave us. But let's look at the, the rest of this story here because it kind of takes a little bit of a, a, of a twisted turn here. And, uh, and, and man, this is just, this is straight up sad to look at. So this man, he's forgiven of all this. In verse 28, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Well, I'm no mathematician, but thousand is a lot less than million, right? And so we've got a guy that owed a, a, a minuscule amount, a fraction of what this guy owed. So what's he do? He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Instant payment. Look at that. He was just forgiven millions, let out of prison, probably got his wife and kids back. And then he goes to somebody who owes him pennies on the dollar for what he was forgiven. He grabs him by the throat and demands. You better pay me right now. I mean, that if you have any sense of justice within you at all, it's starting to rise to the top right now. I mean, you're getting angry like, who would do something like that? Well, let's see, let's see what happens here. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I'll pay it. I swear, man. Oh, that's not in there, but anyway. He pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't. Wait, he had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Wow, that, I mean, this whole story is just, this is crazy. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. So would you say that just by judging off of that one story alone from Jesus, that he takes the issue of forgiveness pretty big because We've been forgiven millions. Other people owe us thousands in comparison. Jesus said, forget the millions, water under the bridge. I'm just going to write it off. Forget it ever happened. And then here we are grabbing people by the throat, you know, metaphorically speaking. And, and like, no, I don't care, man. I, you will. You will pay me back. You will make this right. I demand it right now. And Jesus said, that's not going to work with me. That's, that's not how this rolls. And, and, and so this guy right here, he was locked in a prison. And I can tell you right now that unforgiveness is a prison. 
It's a prison in and of itself. And, and there's a lot of people locked in there, and they think, I'll show this guy. I'll, I'll show her. I'll show him. that I'll, I'll, I'll never forget it. You're not hurting them. You're rotting away in a prison, and they're out there running down Main Street doing whatever they're doing. You're locked up in the You're the one that's locked up. And so unforgiveness is a prison in and of itself. And I want you to flip over here to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, but... But unforgiveness, man, this is for your benefit more than it is the other person. And, I, and, and you've got to take action. Man, I know what, if there's somebody that I, I can start to see unforgiveness in my life against, I take action. I, I will go and try to correct it and make amends, even if it wasn't my fault. Texted somebody yesterday that I rightfully believe, you know, it, it was their fault. And so I text them, though, man, I love you praying for you. I am here for you till the day I die, man. I love you. And, you know, of course, didn't hear back anything, uh, but that's okay. I didn't do it so they would text me back. I did it to say, hey, I love you. You're awesome. I'm not mad at you. I love you. And we need to get to that place where we take action because faith doesn't sit in church and say amen. Faith sits in church and says amen. Then it goes and does something about it. You've got to be a doer of the word Man, just would you, would you do me a favor and write this verse down? Because I keep quoting it, and I'm afraid some of you aren't actually looking at it. James 1.22. Write that down. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, or else you're deceiving yourself. So there's a lot of people that they hear the word all the time. That's not good enough. That's step one. But to really receive the blessing, you've got to be a doer of the word. The blessing isn't in the hearing, the blessing's in the doing, right? And so you're deceiving yourself if you, if you just say amen to all this, but you don't ever actually do something about it. Colossians 3.13, it says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Even my ex, especially your ex. That went, that went over big, okay? And so, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now, listen, I don't see any optional words in this verse right here. It says, forgive anyone, so anyone's a pretty concrete word, right? I mean, that pretty much includes anyone, right? Everybody, right? And so, and then it says, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. It doesn't say you should, or I highly recommend that you forgive others. It says you must forgive others. And I know that that's easier said than done sometimes, but it is possible, or the Bible wouldn't have said to do it. Because God, he's just. He's not going to tell you to do something that it's impossible to do, as far as this goes. And, and so I'm telling you right now, this is possible and I realize it can be a process sometimes, but you must forgive others. It's a, I mean, I'm not adding to that. I'm not taking away. I didn't edit this one ounce. You must forgive others because the Lord forgave you. That's hardcore, but it's the absolute truth. All right? So the second thing I want to say about the necessity of forgiveness, I'm trying to move fast here. The necessity of forgiveness is you need your faith to work. Who likes it when their faith works? Dude, I love that, man. That's the best. I love it 
when I pray for stuff and it happens. Well, how is it that, that my prayers get answered? Well, God's power and my faith. It takes those two things coming into contact. God's got the power and the resources. I've got to supply the faith, right? And so my faith will not work if I am holding unforgiveness and bitterness and I'm not loving other people. Well, why would you say that? I would say that because of Galatians 5, 6. Let's look at Galatians 5, 6. I'm in the King James on this one, Nicholas. Galatians 5, 6, King James. And, and uh, I mean, this is something that we've got to get a hold of, that we may be, we may be praying, praying the lights out, but our wheels are just spinning in the dirt. They're spinning in the sand because our faith works by love. And so Galatians 5, 6, King James says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision avails anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Faith which worketh by love. How does our faith work? How does our faith work? I'm going to do like I do with my kids on their spelling test. I'm just going to. How does our faith actually work? By love. Our faith works by love. And so I can, I can assure us of this. If we're truly holding on to unforgiveness in our hearts. It's going to be really hard for our prayers to get answered on a continuous basis. Okay? I mean, let's, let, that's just the flat-out truth of the matter. Now, forgiveness is, is more than just saying, you know, I, I forgive you. I realize that sometimes it takes a minute to get there. But we need to at least set sail from the dock and start that process right now, Right? I mean, you may not arrive there overnight and do a complete euphoria of forgiveness and love, but listen, we at least need to start that journey rather than holding on to the poison, right? I, I mean, you've heard this phrase, but unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. I'm, it's, it's not doing nothing. It's hurting you. And so the process needs to at least be started. The ship needs to set sail, and it may take you a year to get there. It may take you a couple years, but it at least needs to get going. And so I can tell us this much, that one of the dumbest things that you can do to someone who wronged you is try to retaliate. Let's be, I mean, come on. That's good preaching, Pastor Dave. Thank you. Yes, that is a good word. Listen, one of the dumbest things that the born-again Christian can do is to try to get retaliation retaliation is not a part of the christian vocabulary and that's i mean that's a tough pill to swallow why well because jesus according to first peter two twenty three, didn't retaliate when they came at him he didn't even reply it says he left his case in the hands of god now make no mistake about it god will get vengeance and pay people back that are wronging one of his children, the day does come. And I'm not sitting here praying for that day to come. I'm not sitting here praying, Lord, get them. I'm not doing that. I'm saying, God, open their eyes. Give them another chance. I do not want them. But listen, there does come a day when someone thumps around one of God's kids enough, they will answer for it. The Bible tells us that vengeance is the Lord's. The day of reckoning will come. I'm not sitting here praying for it. I'm not sitting here telling God how to do it. But eventually, if they don't correct that, 
if they don't stop that, there will be a day of reckoning for that person. And I'm not, again, when God, when God takes this type of thing into his own hands, it's a big deal. It's a real big deal. And I'm not sitting here wishing that on anybody. But when God takes revenge, it, it does eventually happen. I'm not sitting here praying for that. But if I try to retaliate, I just took it out of God's hands and put it into mine. You think that's going to turn out good? You think you had a better idea? Well, I'll just go do this to their tires. I'll just go say this about, I'll tell everybody about them. You have every right to do that. Not the slashing of the tires, but you know, the, the other, but you do it. Hey, you could go out and blast them all over the, you could totally do that. But that's it right there. You took it out of God's hands. That, that's, that's it. There you go. You got what, you got what you wanted. That's it. But Jesus left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. The dumbest thing that I can do is try to retaliate. You don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 14, King Herod had John the Baptist's head cut off. Now, John the Baptist is a very pivotal person in Scripture because he is Jesus' cousin. And he was the first person to know who Jesus was because even in his mother Elizabeth's stomach, when Mary walks up, with baby Jesus, he kicks right in the stomach. He knew who Jesus was while he was still in his mom's womb. John is a very key component to the New Testament. And so Herod has John's head cut off, and Jesus hears about it, and Jesus is upset. He's sad. He gets in a boat, and he tries to go to the other side of the, of the water to be by himself. He's like, guys, I need a minute. Just give me some time. I got to process this because Jesus was a human being, right? He, he, he was here on a human. He had emotions. He dealt with stuff. He said, I need some time. But sure enough, everybody comes over there and they don't even give him a few minutes. They're like, hey, Jesus, I know. I'm sorry, sorry about your cousin. Man, my rent's due and I need help like right now. Jesus, I brought my neighbor. He's got like a sprained ankle or something. Hey, Jesus, this guy's blind. Everybody brings their problems all at once. And in Jesus' moment of actual need, he couldn't even get a minute. And so what does Jesus do as we look at Matthew 14? He gets up. He starts fixing all their problems. He, In fact, he goes out further and starts finding more hurting people. What was he doing? This was Jesus' form of retaliation. He didn't try to get back at Herod. He tried to get back at the devil. He said, you took my cousin? All right. Well, I'm going to go out and, and I'm going to destroy the works of the devil. You killed my cousin. I'm going to go heal five blind people. I'm going to go, I'm going to go feed a hundred hungry people. I'm going to go restore five broken marriages. I, and he went and Jesus didn't retaliate against Herod in the human form of emotion why kenneth copeland explained this and 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 if you'll get i'm getting ready to throw something a little bit deep out there i'm just being honest if you will get this point this could change your life if you'll listen to this why did jesus not retaliate physically or even emotionally why because that would have trapped him in to an emotional or physical battle he retaliated spiritually because we're called to spiritual warfare, right? Fight the good fight of faith. Ephesians 6 is all about this stuff. Listen, if Jesus had taken it 
out of the spiritual realm and brought it into the emotional, the soul realm, or the physical realm, he would have been trapped within, okay, now we've got to fight this thing this way. But he didn't. He handled it in the spiritual realm. When someone wrongs me, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to try to get back at you physically. I'm not going to go you know, do something to you. That's, that's not me. I mean, I'm going to protect my family, you know, stuff like that. But I, I'm not going to, because you said something about me on the Internet, try to get that stupid, immature, and that's why your life's a wreck right now. Because you, you take every battle and bring it into the emotional and physical realm, and that's a lost cause. There is no Bible scripture that promises that you're going to win all these emotional and, 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 and all, the, all these psychological battles. We're to fight the good fight of faith. I have every promise. I've got thousands of promises that I will win the spiritual fight if I do it that way. Yeah. Oh, no, I better not do that. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, the sound guy's going to lose. All right. Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. Now, my father-in-law, who just passed away a couple weeks ago, he, I've got a lot of quotes from him because he, man, I got married at 19 and he was always trying to teach me all this stuff. And now I look back at all these things he used to say to me and, and I'm like, man, he was really a pretty deep guy. And so one thing that he told me, because he had had a bad temper when he was younger and he used to tell me about all these stupid fights he got in. Some he won, some he lost. But he said, listen, the only difference between the winner of a fight and the loser is the winner is just slightly less sore in the end. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, he feels like he's some big – he still aches the next day. He's still – and some of you are like, man, I showed him. I won that one. Yeah, you're staying awake at night still. You still got mean things and words and things and, and scenarios going through your mind, don't you? You sound like a real winner to me. I've been there, too. I've been there, too. Romans 12, verses 19 through 21. Romans 12, 19 through 21 in the NLT, it says this. Man, oh, this is good. Oh. Dear friends, never take revenge. Woo! That's good enough right there. We could go home and call a night. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. So I'm telling you, there does come a place in time where God will take care of the revenge. God will have to pay people back for wronging one of his children eventually. Right? It does eventually happen, according to Scripture. But look at verse 20. It says, instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Are you picturing that right now? You're just burning coals of shame. Come, but listen, you know how shameful it is when someone's been an absolute jerk to you and you go around and do something really nice for them? Chances are they're not going to say, oh, thank you, I've been so wrong. They might, even if they don't. According to Scripture, you've just heaped burning coals of shame on them. And when I've done this, it didn't make me feel worse like, man, they, they didn't even say sorry to me. They, they sure got one over on me. Man, I'm like, wow, the freedom that I feel right now. I've never felt better in my entire life than I do right now because I totally just did this God's way. And when 
we do things God's way, there's freedom. Look at this next verse for me. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Don't let evil conquer you, but you conquer evil by doing good. You want to get back at somebody? Love them. You want to get back at somebody? Do something real nice for them. And you're thinking, I would never do that, not in a million years. That's not, that's not how I was trained. Well, one of my favorite verses is in Isaiah 8. It says, the Lord has given me a strong command not to think like everybody else does. I don't know anybody else that would do that. Fine. You're not everybody else. I'm not everybody else. I, I don't want to, I don't want to be like everybody else. I'm fine with being the weirdo that, you know, is, well, they wronged you. How are you so happy? I love that. It's great, man. I'm going to go out and, you know, buy them something for Christmas. I'm going to go out and and do something for their kids. I'm going to go out. Why? Because that's what the scripture tells me to do. And I am not like everybody else. We've never seen somebody like you. That that needs to be your attitude. Well, and this is what kind of a thing I've been saying lately. but, But seriously, someone will say to you, how are you doing this? How are you not getting back? You know, you're only human. You can only take so much. I am not only human. I'm partially human, but another third of me is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost right on the inside, buddy. I am not only human. Do not insult me. I am partially human, but that's not all that I am. I am a born-again son of God. Jesus is my big brother, according to Romans 8 and many other places. Jesus is my big brother. God's my father. I am not like everybody else in Barstow, and neither is Jose, neither is Frank, neither is Irma, neither is... None of you are just like everybody else in Barstow. You're different. You are a daughter of God the Father. You don't have to retaliate. Your dad will take care of it. You can just do what he said and love him anyway, right? You can just do what he said and heap burning coals on him of shame, and that's fine. Leave it at that. But you don't have to do things like everybody else does. The Lord has given me a strong command not to think like everybody else thinks. The third thing I'm going to say is this. Number three is forgiveness brings freedom. Forgiveness brings freedom. And, uh, okay, quickly here, Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Luke 23, verse 34. And so there's a freedom that, that comes when we will finally step out of the boat and do things the way that God said to do it right in the very beginning. Because who knows, there's things in Scripture that we've known for a long time. We just haven't had the faith to step out and do it yet, right? Am I the only one? I mean, okay. Forgot, I'm preaching to the choir tonight. That's good. All right. But, you know, for, for, the, for, for, for all of us, <laughs> there's things that man, I know it's saying to do this, but I just, I don't know yet. Listen. When we step out in faith and do what the scripture is telling us to do, there's a freedom that comes that you've never experienced. I mean, you you have no idea how amazing it is to step out. And I don't know how this is going to go. I have no idea what's going to happen. But you step out of that boat and onto that water and you don't sink. Instead, you're walking on water. You're doing something that you thought you'd never do. You're doing something you thought was impossible. Man, that's the freedom. That comes from forgiveness. Luke 23, verse 34, we're looking at when Jesus was dying on the cross. What were some of his very last words? Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. There's people, I mean, if you really had a revelation of what was going on at this moment, 
you, you, you'd get this a little bit better. But this was an embarrassing moment. Grown man hanging up there naked on a cross. His mom sitting there watching this. His brothers and sisters crying in horror down there. I mean, as their, as their brother, as her son, is just a bloody, rotten mess. And a cross is a shameful thing. That's something for the very worst of death row right there. We look at it as the cross is, oh, it's a beautiful cross. The cross is a very, very harsh and very disturbing thing, right? If you're, especially if you know history. I mean, it's a bad, bad thing. Only bad people die on crosses back then, right? And so Jesus in this moment of shame and this moment of, man, my mom's happened to see this. My, my sisters are down. My brothers, oh, my gosh. Everybody, what is everybody going to think? These guys thought that, that I was the, the, the Messiah, the chosen one, the perfect one, and here I am dying with these guys on death row. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing right now. But please, just forgive them. Please. Like, and here I am, mad at you because of whatever happened. When you will take this step, you'll get to experience the freedom that God brings. And it's, just write this down, Second Corinthians 3.17. It says, Second Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When we invite Him in, when we start to do things his way. Do you think obeying God's word and doing it God's way is going to bring more bondage and pressure and anxiety and, 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 and another, a heavier load, a bigger burden on my back? No. The Lord's the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I'm telling you right now, I like being a free man. I like being free. I don't want anybody, I don't want anything having power over me except for Jesus. And I like being free. And when I do things his way, when I take that step to even begin the process of forgiveness, listen, the freedom that think, I'll bet there's things in your life you've been wanting for your things that, uh, that you've been praying for, things that you've been just whatever for years wanting to happen. I'll bet you that if you'll get the ball rolling on forgiveness, if you'll at least Start obeying God's word on this area. It may not be an instant thing, but if you'll at least get it, I'll bet you'll start seeing some things in your life let loose. Some things that have been held back. You've been praying, God, I need this. God, I want this. And it's been held back. I'll bet that if you'll start to walk in this forgiveness, you'll start seeing some things released into your life that have been held back for a really long time. So I'm telling you right now, man. The Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. You were not meant to be a slave. You were not meant to be uh, some, some little punk that gets bullied around by... No. You were meant to be free and to be a son and a daughter of God who absolutely dominates life. Somebody that absolutely grabs, you know, grabs the bull by the horns. Somebody that absolutely is good at life. That's what God called you to be. And so I'm just telling you right now, forgiveness, it's a necessity. And as we start down this path, watch what God does. Things are just going to be released into your life, and you're going to be a free man, a free woman that doesn't owe nobody anything. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and stand up tonight. We're going to end it right there.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.